0: My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at.
1: When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
2: I'm Melanie Whelan, the CEO of SoulCycle. always say, make sure that you are not on the bottom of your own to-do list. Health and fitness for me is my greatest release. And so that will always come very close to the top. For other people, it may be other things, time with girlfriends, coffee, reading a book, cooking, but to always make sure, you know,
0: and as much as I can, I coach people to, to put yourself a little higher on that list. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger,
1: Melanie Whalen serves as the CEO of SoulCycle, the fitness company that changed the world of indoor cycling. She shares what it's like to be a young CEO and discusses how her past success in strategy, corporate finance, and branding prepared her to lead SoulCycle to rise among the spin competition. So, Melanie, you credit your dad with your entrepreneurial streak and wondering what the biggest business lesson he taught you. So, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. My
2: father was an entrepreneur and started multiple transportation and messenger businesses in D.C. So I grew up with him commuting an hour and a half each way every day. And I grew up with a mother who would run payroll on the floor of our living room at night sometimes to support these new ventures. And back in the early 80s, being an entrepreneur wasn't quite as cool as what it is today. But I remember when he was starting these businesses, you know, he really prioritized customers over anything else because in the service business that he was in, whether messenger businesses or transportation businesses, the customer was everything. And as a word of mouth business, you have to make sure that your customers are happy with, if not singing your praises about your service. And so I have lots of stories of vacations or weekends when my father would be on the phone just listening to customers complain. And he would always say that, you know, you can, they will forget uh, what you said, and they 'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how they you made them feel, and in those moments, he always wanted to just give them the space to listen and to be heard and so listening to your customers, I think, is probably the biggest lesson that he imparted on me, and I watched it firsthand as a kid. Did
1: you appreciate it, or did you resent it at all if you're on vacation and he is talking business? and
2: you know i don't when you grow up in an entrepreneurial household, you don't really know any differently. You know, so we would go down to D.C. on weekends, we would go to the Smithsonian, he would go into the office to work with his team or um, work on the business, and that was just part of how we grew up. I think it was
1: exciting. You said you loved math and science as a young girl. How do you think we can get more girls interested in these subjects?
2: Yeah, I absolutely loved math and science. And I. the reason that I grew up in Baltimore, my mother wanted us to live there and attend an all-girls school, which I did for 12 years. And she believed that in 1980, to have an all-girls education, I would really be raised with this idea that I could do anything and not be limited by any social pressure or any you know, male influences in the classroom leading me to think any differently. And I think what that space enabled me to do was find what I loved, which was truly problem solving and working in teams to solve those problems, which is ultimately what a lot of math and science is about in school. And I think because I was exposed to it, I could fall in love with it. And I think what we have a responsibility to do for our children is expose them to as much as possible around math, around STEM, around now computer science, which back when I was growing up was not really a discipline, to let them find their own path, because ultimately, whether you are interested in it or you follow an engineering curriculum the way that I did, if you don't love it, you won't flourish in it. So I just think getting kids exposure to this kind of education early and hoping that they will fall in love with it and follow it is the is really the
1: key. I recall that you studied engineering in school. I know you switched out of that, but... During that process, I would imagine he would have been one of very few women in the program. Was that difficult, if so? It was one of the more formative
2: moments, I would say, in my younger life was coming out of a 12-year girl school with 70 girls who I'd largely grown up with since I was six years old and showing up for my first day of engineering at Brown and in a lecture room with 150 students seeing that there were 10 women in the room. And I really do credit the school that I went to in Baltimore for teaching me to always raise my hand and to be confident in the information that I had. And that helped re- me really navigate what was a very male-dominated um, discipline at Brown at the time. But I think that the core of engineering, again, is really problem-solving, which is something that, you know, though I moved away from it as a discipline, is something that served me really well in business.
1: You said early in your career you learned that you needed to be a better listener. What prompted you to realize that? I think my father ultimately was the first one who really helped
2: to shape that thought in my head. Again, just watching him with these customers and with his teams as I was growing up. But you know, one of the the stories I tell my team a lot was I worked for Richard Branson, my, my second job out of college. And we had this great experience where I was meant to meet him, to brief him on a new business that we were working on. And he arrived at the meeting quite late. And it had been because he had come in from London on a Virgin Atlantic flight, and he took the cabin crew out for drinks and and dinner. And when he arrived, he, you know, apologized and said he was late, but that he really tried to make it a best practice to go out with the teams in whatever city he was in around the world, because they were the ones on the front lines that were delivering the service that laddered up to the brand promise that we made. And so this sort of inverted pyramid of putting your team first and listening and acknowledging and appreciating them before worrying about the next business venture or the next shareholder really informed a lot of how I think about leadership today which is about really listening to your teams and enrolling them in where you're going.
1: What was he like to work for? You know, I didn't work
2: very closely with him. You know, Richard is one of these people that's larger than life and a real visionary, but I, it was a great, um, and still is, I think a great uh, portfolio of companies and the core values of who Virgin is as a brand still exists across myriad companies that, you know, Richard has started, whether it be in aviation or in telecoms. I met my husband at Virgin, and we do a reunion every year in January where we get everybody together that work together. And it's a very like-minded, sort of value-driven group of people that I feel really fortunate to have worked with.
1: You said you have a glass half-full outlook. How did you cultivate that?
2: You know, I think part of it is just naturally who I am. I think it's really hard to cultivate in people positivity and optimism. And it's something that, I think growing up, I've always had the sort of attitude, I'm going I'm to figure it out. And why dwell on the negative when we can just focus on the positive? And I think that, you know, as a business leader, sometimes that's hard when things don't go to plan, which is more often, obviously, than not. But I think what sees you through that is this notion that you can do it better and that there is potential and that the idea is big. And it's something that I really try to instill in my children as well, this idea of reckless optimism that is always a winning strategy. You said it's important for business leaders to be optimistic. How come? You know, as I said, I think business can be really challenging. And you have, whether it be competitive threats or challenges or things that are unexpected that come up. And as a leader, I think your responsibility is to bring people along with you and help them to keep believing in why, even when uh, things don't go to plan. So I think that optimism is sort of the key tenant in that, in getting people excited.
1: Soul Cycle seems to be a lot about inspiring women. What do you think prevents women from reaching their goals? So Soul Cycle absolutely is a
2: powerful and fun and transformative fitness experience. You know, we ride together in a studio with 60 people in candlelight with an instructor on the podium in front of you telling you that you can be stronger up a hill in that class or overcome an obstacle in that class and that you can be the best version of yourself. And then those lessons and those words you take outside of the room into your life. And we hear all the time from our writers that they take these inspirational messages and it really informs how they think about themselves. And that open-mindedness that comes from being physical in a space, having 60 people around you push you to your potential, push you harder than you certainly would on your own, helps people really realize their own potential. And I think it's having that vision for yourself that helps you get there.
1: Do you think women struggle with that more often? Than men? I think they can. I think
2: people honestly struggle with that these days. I think with technology and social media, having created this environment around us where you can never really turn the noise off. And all the research is now showing that the more time that we spend on social media, the, the less happy that we really are. So I think the, the challenge for all of us is to figure out how to intentionally disconnect from technology and to really dial into who we are and where we want to be in life. This is where my sort of un- unrelenting optimism comes from, because I think that it's a challenging world right now for people to live up to their potential. You
1: said you were working six. 60, 70-hour work weeks when you were pregnant. How did you do that? So I've been
2: very fortunate in that I have loved what I've done in my career. I worked at Starwood Hotels right out of college. I went on to the team that started Virgin America here with the Virgin Group. I worked at Equinox for five years where I was able to not only work on starting new businesses and new partnerships but also bring my love of fitness and something I've always been passionate about into my professional life and the same is true of Soul Cycle. And so when you're working that hard but it's something that's underpinned in your passion and you're doing it with great people to me it's not really work it's just life. And you know I've always taken a very integrated approach to my life. I I, I believe that you don't go to work and then you go to life that this sort of a pie that you as an individual, you know, you lead and you determine which pieces of the pie and where you want to focus the most. And when I was you you know, six months pregnant with my first child. I, I spent a lot of time at work because then I I would go home and I would sleep a lot. Um, but I loved what I was doing. And at the time, you know, we we had started a brand called Pure Yoga here in New York. We had started a brand called Blink Fitness here in New York. And we were working on such great stuff that it truly didn't seem like work.
1: If your kids need you and work isn't needing you at the same time, how do you... How do you figure that out? How do you, where do you go?
2: Well, first, I think we have to define need. If you ask my daughter, she needs me to do a lot of things that she can actually do for herself. You know, as a, a CEO of a company um, that has a lot of women leaders in the field and in our HQ office, you know, I really believe that family has to come first. And if there is a true need, that there is a way to make that happen, always. We've got great people around us. I think people are connected more than ever on phones and laptops. And so if that means not being in the office or having to step out for something that is absolutely always the priority.
1: So many working moms feel a sense of guilt, especially if they're working long hours. What do you think about that?
2: I think what's important for me as a mother is always first to be there when the need is truly there. But backing up and looking at it really philosophically and from a macro point of view is to be a strong role model for my children. Ultimately, what I want to raise is responsible and thoughtful citizens of the world who are inspired to reach their potential. And I think having two children who view their mother as the CEO of a, a company that they can see on the street corner on their way to school and having a father who's a, a president of his organization is is really inspiring for them. You know, we talk a lot about gender inequity in, in business, and that's a you know big topic right now. And I think our, the way that I can have the most tangible impact is to raise this next generation of male and female leaders. And I believe that the role model um, aspect of what I do is almost more important for my son than it is for my daughter because he will be raised free of gender bias because he said a mom who a, who's been working and traveling as a CEO for his entire childhood, not unlike the impact my father had on me.
0: My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at.
1: When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the
0: Ad Council. Spend time with Alexa? Then make What's News part of your flash briefing on the Amazon Echo, the Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. So
1: often women put their own health and fitness last. They put the family and the career first. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think women, even beyond health and fitness, will
2: put themselves last. You know, we are incredible multitaskers as a gender. And what that does is let us really understand how many different things that we need to do. And we always put ourselves at the bottom of that list. And so you know, why Soul Cycle I think, plays a really important role in our communities is because it's a safe space for women and men to come and they disconnect for 45 minutes and they prioritize themselves. And not only do they have this really fun, experiential fitness workout, but then they come out and there's a community of people around them that are celebrating them for that. And we hear this all the time. They want to spend more time with us. They want to spend more time in the lobbies of our studios because it's where they feel like the best version of themselves. So just making sure, I always say, make sure that you are not on the bottom of your own to-do list. Health and for me is my greatest release and so that will always come very close to the top for other people it may be other things time with girlfriends coffee reading a book cooking but to always make sure you know and as much as i can i coach people to, to put yourself a little higher on that list
1: you said it's important to find your why what do you mean by that
2: you know i think ultimately what that means is what motivates you what excites you you know Again, the reason I was able to work 60-hour weeks when when I was pregnant was it wasn't work. I was really passionate. My why was about creating these, these businesses, working with these teams, learning as much as I could, and having impact. The why behind that impact is important to be really truthful about, is it the best use of your time? I think... Oftentimes, you know, we get focused on what we should do versus what we could do. And I, I remember coming out of school and everyone was either going to be a banker or a consultant or a doctor or a lawyer. And having been the daughter of an entrepreneur, I, was, I, I thought – That linear path isn't necessarily what I want to follow. At 22, my directive was just get a job and put your head down and learn. And so it wasn't as if I did this grand exploration of my passion in life. But over time, when you start to make choices at pivot moments in your career, I do think it's important to really try to align who you are and where you want to go, your why with those decisions you're making.
1: There's still very few women CEOs and still very, very few young women CEOs like yourself. And so I'm wondering, how has your age been an advantage for you? That's a, that's a great question.
2: You know, I, I started at Cycle Running Operations. I was our COO for three years. I grew up in the business. I started when we had seven locations here in New York. When I was promoted to CEO, we had about 50 locations nationally. And growing up in the business and really understanding our strengths and our teams, but also our opportunities and where we could take this, I think really informed how I've thought about leading the company as we've gone forward. And I think more than my Age, it's really been that experience that was very formative for me in terms of how I think about leading the business. And age really hasn't factored into it much yet.
1: Hasn't been a disadvantage in any way
2: or. So funny. I, we, I get the question about gender a lot and what that has been like. But age, no. I think, you know, again, advice that I, I give people a lot is just know your business, you know, know your know your numbers, know where your opportunities are, and be willing to acknowledge what you don't know and where you need help. And that's one of the things that I've learned very deeply over the last couple of years is we, we, we're we not all experts at everything. And just because your business card says a title doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. And so surrounding yourself with people, what I be- have believed that are smarter than me, that I can learn from, but also the sort of the sum of the parts is greater than the whole or whatever that expression is, has been really um, transformative. And I just, I try to ask a lot of questions and sort Myself with people who are willing to give me good advice so that I can maybe make up for the fact that I may be on the younger side just by getting as much knowledge transfer as I can.
1: How did you cultivate an executive presence?
2: Well, first you have to call my team and ask if I actually have one as I'm sitting here in my jeans and sneakers. I think years in the COO seat at SoulCycle and starting to lead a team that was first seven young women, and then it was 30 people, and then it was, you know, a larger and larger field organization, really thinking through who I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up for these young people every day helped me think about what kind of leader I wanted to be and what that presence Um, should be. I think sometimes, you know, when I was younger, it was just about getting the most information out at a table. I know this, I know this, this is what I need, without that much consideration for the audience. And I think as the COO of the company, I really started to think more audience first and be more thoughtful around preparation than I had been before.
1: That's interesting that you would think more audience first, since you're the boss, you would think they all need to need to listen. I hope that they do but I think great
2: listening comes from sort of respect and a a goodwill in a relationship that's been built from time working together and and time forging that understanding, you know, I can set out a great vision for the business. But if I haven't listened to what our writers believe about this, or what our team thinks the opportunities are, then, you know, vision without execution is hallucination. I think that's what the expression is. So execution is going to come from enrolling people in where you're going, and also listening to to feedback along the way. So I think audience is really important.
1: I heard you stay in touch with your mentors and past bosses. How do you do that?
2: By reaching out when you don't need something, I think is really important. Sometimes we believe mentors are gurus sitting on a mountaintop that are waiting to you know espouse this great advice when it's really important and you need that great advice. And what I've tried to, to do is maintain just relationships, friendships with people. And that way, you know, when the stakes are lower and maybe I can help, Is a better time to reach out so that when I really do need guidance then that door is open and that relationship is is strong.
1: What advice do you have for entrepreneurs who want to create a community around their brand?
2: That too I think creating community around your brand or your product or your experience is creating these wild advocates and evangelists for what you do. So that really starts from listening to where the need is that is somehow unmet in their lives and then delivering or over-delivering on that so that they become your advocates. You know, 80% of the new riders that come into SoulCycle come because a friend has brought them or because of the word of mouth. That has been tremendous for us in the business because as we've gone into new cities and new markets, our riders are doing a lot of the talking for them, for us, I should say, inviting their friends in, inviting their communities in. And I think it's because we have taken good care of them in the business as it is today, connected with them them as human beings, acknowledged, seen, appreciated them. And I think that's at least how we have built our community is by really listening to them first.
1: What's one thing you'll buy when you have that IPO moment for yourself? (laughs) (laughs) You know, what I value
2: most is time. And we are all very time starved. That's why we are very appreciative of the time that people spend with us at SoulCycle and how we want to make sure that it is the best use of our rider's time. So if spending time with my kids is what I truly
1: value the most. What type of investor are you? I am a
2: very planned investor in that I'm definitely more conservative than my husband. I think that one of the things that makes us a great couple is he is more of a venture investor and an early stage investor, and I'm more of a 401k, 529 investor. And so together we are a very good pair.
0: So
1: if you had to give advice to a young woman who is listening, who wants to become the CEO of Soul Cycle one day, what would you say to her?
2: The advice that I got coming out of college was to get a job, put your head down, put your hand up, and learn as much as you can. And when the work is done, ask what else there is to do, because then you're going to get exposed to lots of different opportunities. Um, I think the the entrepreneurial spirit in this country now is so exciting and uh, has evolved so far from when I got out of school. And if you have a vision and there is an unmet need and a path to profitability, then to go after that in with a very thoughtful approach, but to just make sure that whether you get that job in a, in a company and put your head down and do more, or you, you start your own thing, just to make sure it aligns with your passion. Because with technology and the pace of change um, in the world, it all bleeds together. And so you better love what it is that you're doing because it's gonna be a big part of your life. What's your workout? My workout is soul cycle. And I am a very good tag player on the playground, which is my version of cross-training. And I like to do some functional stuff in the gym as well. I'm an Equinox member, proudly. Uh, But most of my time, you can find me riding at SoulCycle.
0: Time now for your secrets.
2: I'm Melanie Whelan, the CEO of SoulCycle. My money secret is, like anything in life, be intentional, be thoughtful, and good things will come.
1: Be sure to tune in every week for all new episodes featuring hair mogul Gail Federici and best selling author Linda Fairstein. Find us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite audio provider and tune in every week for all new episodes of the Wall Street Journal Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast.
0: What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women.